Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hello, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. And this week, my guest is a health coach. His name is Brian Goal. Now, you may not have heard of Brian. Um, he's, he's actually connected with a biohackers meetup. And that's where we met um, and connected a few weeks ago. And I thought it'd be interesting to get him on the show because Brian's done something and has experience in an area where I have very little, which is in the ketogenic diet, which essentially is a very low carb, high fat diet. Um, we talk about Brian's story in the past and he has a, a great story of how he got from being very unhealthy to very healthy. He went from vegan uh, to essentially something like a ketogenic diet, which is a low, low carb, very high fat diet. And he's kind of become fat adapted, uh, but he cycles in and out of that. And he just talks to us a bit about the challenges of going into a ketogenic state, uh, how you can make that easier for yourself, what to expect, and of course, the benefits of being ketogenic. So I hope you enjoy the show. If you've got questions about this, file them over to me at Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at bodyshopperformance.com. And I can forward them over to Brian and I'll link to Brian's social media as well in the show notes, as well as anything that we talk about. So this is Brian Goal and enjoy the show. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Fine. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's Very an absolute exciting. pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's, we're going to talk all about the ketogenic diet, uh, which I'll admit isn't something I know a huge amount about. I haven't tried yeah. to go ketogenic. Um, I would say I'm a little bit fat adapted, but it's a bit finger in the air as to how much and how true that is. Tell us a bit about your background first and what drew you into the ketogenic diet or lifestyle, if you call it that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, what, what really got me interested in, in um, learning more about food and diet in general is because I was a vegetarian for a long time. And I think like a lot of people, we kind of, uh, especially in the media nowadays, we're, we're kind of bombarded that veganism and vegetarian really is the healthiest option. And I kind of, mm. you know, I, I kind of got into that for quite a long time. I was vegetarian for about seven years. And um, although, you know, a few things, a few of my health markers got better, I lost a little bit of weight and, you know, I felt a little bit better generally. But at the same time, almost instantly, my health started to suffer, you know, my joints. I started to experience joint pain within a few months of going vegetarian, getting off uh, meat, you know. And um, at the time, I just kind of thought it was arthritis, hereditary, because my father's got arthritis, so I just accepted it. And instantly, interestingly enough, looking back, my digestion begin, began to fail on a vegetarian diet. And growing up in South Africa and eating a lot of meat all my life, I never had digestive problems. But then as soon as I went on to this, you know, quote-unquote healthier way of eating, vegetarianism, my digestion started failing. And I, I was kind of trapped in what I now call my vegetarian identity hmm. because I was so convinced that it was the healthier diet and that meat and animal products were so bad for us. Yet here I was with my health failing in front of my eyes, you know, in my early 20s. Hmm. I had to give up so many things that I liked because it got to a point where I had like debilitating joint pain in my knees and my elbows and my wrists. and. You know, and as a carpenter, like not having functioning hands or a functioning body, it's, it started to really weigh on my mind. And, um, you know, like I say, my digestion just went from being constipated one day to diarrhea the next day to constipation to a normal bowel movement. And this went on for seven years. Hmm. And for seven years, I just 
told myself excuse after excuse as to why it wasn't working. Um, and I never, it never really dawned on me that it might have been vegetarianism. It might have been the lack of meat in my diet that, that was affecting my health so much. And what, so, just to interrupt for a second, what, what got you into vegetarianism in the first place? What were the arguments that persuaded you that was the right thing to do? It, like, like a lot of us, I think I suddenly, like shockingly became aware of the factory farming industry in the UK. Yeah. I know it exists all over the world, but at that point I'd been living in dreamland. You know, buying your meat in a plastic box, not giving a second thought where it came from. Mm. And I walked into my house one day, my girlfriend at the time was watching one of those uh, undercover uh, factory farm videos and what I saw disgusted me to my core of how they were treating animals. And I went vegetarian overnight. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with that. And yeah. then, you know, because of my failing health, I just kept investigating food and, and I was a very good vegetarian. I ate everything that grew on the plant, nuts, seeds, superfoods, juices, smoothies, I did it all and nothing helped, you know, in mm. terms of my digestion. Mm. And what were the digestive symptoms? You talked about the joint pain. What yeah. Some, I mean, you, you talked a bit about constipation and then the complete opposite next day, but what were some of the other yeah. digestive issues? Well, I mean, I can, I've, I, I can only imagine that because those were the, the glaringly obvious symptoms of my failing digestion, that to me now that I know so, so much more than I did back then, that, back then it suggests that I probably wasn't absorbing as much of what of the nutrients that was in the food I was eating as I could have. Mm. You know, I was, I was eating, like I say, every vegetable and fruit under the sun, but because my digestion wasn't working, you know, I just get the sense that I wasn't probably as nourished as I could have been. Mm. And that can ultimately lead to, you know, a cascade of problems around the body. Yeah. Uh, that's probably what I experienced, you know, looking back for sure. I think there can be a, a thought, and I've, I've certainly fallen into this trap of thinking that vegetarian and vegan must be healthy because it's, it's plant-based. But I, I don't think that's the case now. I've become a little bit more educated. And in fact, a lot of, I, I, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I ordered a vegan cheese pizza the other day. Absolutely disgusting. I don't know what I was expecting. You know, cheese and vegan oxymorons I mean it, yeah. and it was vile and quite often yeah. you know the veggie burgers that you'll get offered it's just full of junk it's actually more processed than it might have been to be on a non-vegetarian diet exactly so certainly better educated but um, I, I think what what happens is you know we see a lot we see we're seeing a very prominent vegan movement now and because what tends to happen is that when these people go from a standard Western diet and they become vegans overnight they tend to eat a lot healthier than they were so I see a lot of benefits really quickly, but the problem is like the issues that I experience and that a lot of vegans unfortunately experience is the negative side of it creeps in weeks or months later. So for the first couple of weeks when they're, when they're telling all their friends how great they feel, they do feel great. Mm -hmm. But then very seldom do we hear like, oh, now my health is suffering. They don't obviously tell anybody about that. And, and I, I saw a statistic the other day, it was somewhere credible, I can't remember where, 84% of vegans go back onto animal products, hmm. you know, eventually. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I just want to make clear to everybody that's listening, like I'm, I'm not trying to attack vegans or vegetarians. Um, I'm, I completely understand the philosophy, but my passion is and my concern is that if you become a vegan or vegetarian for philosophical reasons, but your health suffers, I think your health needs to take priority because no matter what your philosophy is, if you're sick, 
and low on energy and not feeling good, you're not doing any good to, to society. You're not really, you know, contributing as much as you can. Yeah. So that's one of my one of my passions, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So so you're seven years into to this, you're feeling you know, health suffering, joints are killing, you get lots of pain. What happened? Um well I kept I kept looking, I kept reading, you know, health and, and wellness has always been a passion. So it wasn't like I had to do this homework. I was really I really enjoy reading about food and understanding you know, the body and exercise and the mind and all that. So um, I was actually in Australia working on a, an on organic farm and was just kind of casually chatting. And the woman who owned the farm, she was, uh, you know, she was vegan for 20 years and you know, she's quite a lot older than me. And she was just casually talking about how her husband was sick for 20 years and they couldn't figure it out. Mm. And they tried every form of veganism under the sun um, for, for 20 years. And eventually she said to him like, there's only one thing left to try. We need to try animal products. And he reluctantly gave in and started eating tiny bits of meat again. And lo and behold, within a couple of weeks, his energy came back, his health problems disappeared. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, maybe meat is what's missing. And then there was a nurse there as well. And she said, yeah, there's, um, there's a little bit of science about this whole like eat right for your blood type. And I went and Googled that straight away, and lo and behold, my blood type, O negative, which is said to be the original blood type, the hunter-gatherer, does better on a meat, not a meat-based diet, but with more meat in the diet. Mm -hmm. And so from that day, I was like, well, I'm going to try and eat a little bit of meat. And, you know, almost within a couple of weeks, I started feeling better after reintroducing meat. And more recently, in, in the last two years, when I've gone onto the low-carb, high-fat diet, my joint pain has disappeared. My energy levels have gone through the roof. My mental focus, my health has exploded in ways that I couldn't have imagined, mm. you know, while I was vegetarian. Mm. And how long ago was that? Um, I went low carb, high fat just under two years ago. Okay. And I started, I started like, uh, like I think a lot of us do with the bulletproof coffee yeah. and started drinking bulletproof coffee. And, and it was like such a strange concept to, so suddenly after all these years, like decades for most of us, being told how bad fat is for us mm. and to learn that it isn't yeah. and to have to start eating more of it, it's, it can be very counterintuitive and, and a mental battle in the beginning. Yeah. I did a podcast actually all well, a 30 minute potted history on um, the whole origins of the, the fat is bad school of thought, which is 30 something years old now. And we're still kind of, there's still people who believe that. But, so low carb, um, high fat is not ketogenic in and of itself, is it? It's a movement well, towards or, or well, not. Keto, like the low carb, high fat is kind of like the banner and they kind of scale from uh, the, the, the metric to measure is the amount of carbs you eat. Mm -hmm. So keto, the ketogenic diet, which is probably you know, the most famous diet, the most well-known diet at the moment is at the extreme end where you're eating the lowest carbs out of all the um, low carb family. And the low carb family of diets, of course, is the bulletproof diet, the primal diet, um, uh, paleo is, is low carb, high fat, and ketogenic is just happens to be the lowest carb, mm. high fat diet. Um, uh, what does ketogenic mean? So ketogenic refers to um, probably the, the metabolic state that your body is in. So our bodies have two main sources of energy 
one being carbohydrates, which turns into glucose and then gets burnt through the, the energy systems in the body, and the other one being a fat-based energy system, which when your body converts dietary fat in the liver, it converts into an energy molecule called um, ketones. So when you're eating a ketogenic diet, you're said to be in ketosis because your body is producing ketones, and these are like the the like-for-like like little molecule with the glucose molecule. On the fat side of the lifestyle, you have the, the, the ketone molecule, and that's the little source of energy that buzzes around your body and fuels all your cells. Got it. And are they mutually, is glucose and the ketones mutually exclusive? So you can't have one if there's the other? In the early days, when you're first starting the diet, um, they, it's... The more the stricter you can be, the the closer the the quicker you're going to get into ketosis, hmm. right? It's like it's like this this kind of like seesaw. You know, if you're going low carb, um, high fat, you kind of you really in the in the beginning you need to keep your carbs as low as possible because you jump have to jumpstart your metabolism into a into a fat burning metabolism. It's a, it's a different biology in the body. Mm -hmm. Once you've been on it for six weeks or a few months then we hopefully we get into what they call um, metabolic flexibility where you can have your carbs you know your really healthy carbs a little bit of sweet potato a little bit of brown, a little bit of white rice and you know for a couple of hours your your ketone levels might drop and your glucose levels will go up but as soon as that glucose is burnt which it does burn off very quickly then your ketones will start to go up because your body has now been retrained to burn ketones mm. so initially yes you should keep them uh, apart as best you can but months down the line you can be a bit more relaxed because you've switched your body's metabolism yeah and just as an aside is there an athletic benefit to being dual trained if you like to be able to switch from from glucose burning to ketone burning uh, there absolutely is. Um, it's, it's, it's a new field to me. I am still learning a lot about it, but there is an incredible amount of evidence and there's a lot of guys doing phenomenal work. Um, the two guys that I study the most are, are called Mark Sisson and Brad mm -hmm. Kearns. Yep. They are you know, part of the primal movement, the, the kind of brand called primal. Yep, I'll and link to, to both the, to the work of, well, they work together, don't they? They work together, exactly. Yeah. They're, both, um, they're both ex-extreme athletes that were carb-based and they are, they are documenting a lot of evidence now of very extreme athletes that are, that are you know, on the ketogenic diet uh, and they train within the fat burning paradigm. But during um, events, especially the longer ultra marathons and the Ironmans and all that, they will, they will be fat burning for most of the event, but they, they can supplement with glucose uh, supplements during the actual race mm. but you know most of the time they're in they're in fat burning mode and it ties into this completely again counterintuitive um, athletic training paradigm which is so it's just almost complete opposite of what we've all been training for the last 100 years it's a real you know a real uh, disruptor in the athletic scene but I don't know too much about it so I wouldn't even talk about that science just yet mm. Okay, so someone's considering getting into the ketogenic diet. I mean, is there any, obviously it's very personal, everything is very personal, but is there anyone who, for whom it's ideal? Anyone for um, whom it's not ideal? There, there is a small percentage, uh, genetically speaking, of, of us that um, can struggle to metabolize fats efficiently. 
Uh, so for those people, it's not, the fat-burning diet is not ideal. And you can find out by doing those like genetic um, DNA tests, mm -hmm. or you can just try a high-fat diet. And if you feel you know terrible, it's usually a pretty good sign that it's not for you. So would something um, like DNA fit, which gives you your sensitivity to saturated fat, would that give you an indication, or is that not specific enough? That would give you an indication if it's if it's focused on saturated fat. Yeah. Um, saturated fat very generally is is one of the go-to sources of fat inside the low-carb, high-fat school and, and ketogenic as well. But you do you do have your monounsaturated fats as well that people can lean more towards, you know, the olive oils, the avocado oils, things like that. Mm. Um, I, I do well in a kind of a nice blend of saturated and monounsaturated. So I use mostly uh, ghee, uh, which is a form of butter, obviously an animal fat. And then the fat that I get from meat, but I also use a lot of avocado oil and olive oil to supplement that, you know? Yeah. And on the carbohydrate side, when we say low carb, we are talking extremely low carbohydrate, aren't we? What would a plate of food look like with the ratios about right for you? So, so for me personally, now I am not, I don't um, claim to be on a ketogenic diet purely because you know I consider myself to be a very clean eater but I eat a lot of vegetables mm. now there's there's a bit of like a there's a bit of toing and froing within the ketogenic community exactly how to measure carbs you know so without getting into the details there's a difference between total carbs and net carbs so what some so in the ketogenic diet for example most serious keto people are aiming for 20 grams of carbs per day or less. Hmm. So what that means is that you're eating like a hell of a lot of fat and quite a lot of meat and very, very little vegetables. And for me personally, I just, I just can't eat that little vegetable. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like being a vegetarian for so long, I value big bowls of vegetables and I eat a lot of vegetables and, you know, I cover them in oil and I cover them in fat and salt and I always have a little bit of meat. That's why I say ketogenic is very extreme because you know, if you look at a, a ketogenic meal, it's like, you know, it'll be like a couple of slices of halloumi, a few rashes of bacon, a bit of steak, um, you know, covered in oil and fat with like two florets of broccoli. Yeah. And that, that to me personally, just, it's just not something I'm into at the moment. And I know I'm fat adapted because I don't crave sugar. I don't crave carbs. I can go easily 24, 36 hours without eating without suffering an energy crash, without the, the cravings kicking in, telling me to grab a donut. So with, with that experience, I know that I'm fat adapted. So I am, I'm eating the level of carbs that I eat about 60 grams of carbs a day. What, what does 60 grams look like in terms 60. of florets of broccoli or palms of vegetables? So my, my day to day roughly is I start, um, for a long time I started with a bulletproof coffee in the morning and that is obviously a coffee with a fair amount of fat in it, butter uh, or ghee in my case, and MCT oil, and that would get me to lunchtime. And then lunchtime will be a big bowl of dark green vegetables. So it'll be a fair amount of broccoli, a fair amount of cauliflower, kale, spinach, chard, um, all those kind of dark green veg. Um, rule of thumb is we eat the above ground vegetables. So that cuts out the carrots, the potatoes, the sweet potatoes, and of course, uh, you know, pumpkins and butternut as well, which are very, very healthy, 
but they're quite high in carbs. Yeah. So we eat those very, very sparingly. So my meals are very veg heavy, big bowls of, of steamed vegetables, with plenty of oil and plenty of salt. And, you know, I was, I was tracking my macros. I was tracking what I was eating for quite a while. And I was always between 60 and 70 grams of carbs a day. And during a period where I thought I would like to try the ketogenic diet, I just didn't want to eat less vegetables. Mm. I was happy with the way I felt. I'm happy with my body and my energy. And I just didn't want to give up any more veg. So I'm settled on the number that, you know, 60 grams of carbs is good for me. But once you're fat adapted, once you're deeply in ketosis, you can actually eat up to 100 grams of carbs a day, but you need to measure to find your 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 um, homeostasis with your metabolism. Yeah. So to start, it's less than 20 grams of carbs a day if you're aiming for deep ketosis. But once you're fat adapted, you can you can eat more carbs. Okay. And what are some of the the purported benefits of of moving towards that ketogenic or that very low carb, high fat diet? It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And what's what's really exciting is that every other day there's more studies being released about um, more benefits they're finding. So the, the most obvious ones and the, the benefits that most people are attracted to is you burn fat, you burn body fat. And I, if I can speak from my experience, like I, I do, I was doing almost no exercise and I just changed the way I eat and the fat on my body just started disappearing and I toned up. And so you're burning fat, you're burning your body fat and that translates into higher energy levels. Mm. So I found that I'm sleeping less hours during the night. I sleep between five and a half and six hours. And in fact, if I sleep more than that, I'm groggy in the morning and I'm tired. So I've really found that I've got this little sweet spot. Um, another great benefit is mental clarity and concentration and focus, which to me, when I first started investigating this, this way of eating, it, it sounded so abstract. I was like, how can you, you know, concentrate better? How can you feel more focused? But once I became fat adapted, I actually noticed I was concentrating a lot better and for a lot longer uh, during my work day. And, and of course, in this day of, you know, smartphones everywhere, our attention span has got down to about mm. five seconds. Um, and I've really felt my mental discipline and focus increasing. But, you know, and then the, the, the real benefits is that the ketogenic diet or the low-carb, high-fat diet is, is the best prevention to the major lifestyle diseases, the type 2 diabetes, um, the, 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 all the various forms of dementia, obesity, heart disease, um, all these metabolically related lifestyle issues. The ketogenic diet is, is the, the direct preventative action to take. And in so many cases, there's so many fantastic doctors around the world that are prescribing the low-carb, high-fat diet or the ketogenic diet to reverse things like type 2 diabetes and to slow down um, quite a few, quite a number of the dementia conditions and, uh, and really reversing these and, and just improving people's quality of, of life. Because what we've realized, which is so important to, to bear in mind, is that glucose and insulin is at the root of all the major lifestyle diseases afflicting, afflicting us in the Western world today. And, and the high-fat diet is, is the antidote and the, you know, the panacea to, to, kind of, to kind of umbrella prevent all of those diseases. It's, it's really exciting. Mm. 
I mean, I'll link to the work of Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson because I think they've done a lot of research in this area, haven't they? There's, there is a lot of science, a lot of buzz around the benefits of ketogenic. Where does fasting come into it? Is there an element of fasting within the, the diet concept or not? Yeah, yeah. Fasting um, is, is, a, is, is another one of those weird little lifestyle things that we can get into that have just so many fantastic benefits. Um, they have, it has very similar benefits to, to everything that I've just described for the ketogenic diet. Um, but something that's very exciting that when I, when I first started reading about it is something called um, autophagy or autophagy. It uh, depends where you are in the world, they pronounce it different. And what that means is that once your body has digested all the food that you've eaten and it's got no more work to do in terms of digestion, your cells kind of start to look at themselves inside your body and they start to do a cellular cleanup in the body. So the cells that are not functioning as well as they could be or they're slightly dysfunctional, they start to take themselves apart and digest parts of them that can't be reused and recycle the parts of the cells and then they're replaced by, by healthier, stronger cells. And this is true for every cell in your body. So it can be something as simple as your skin will start to improve when you're fasting. You know, and there's, there was, there's a little bit of buzz around um, this actually goes for cancer cells. You know, if you've got like the early, early stages of, of a very small amount of cancer cells in your body, they can actually be recognized and dealt with when you're in a fasting state because that your, your, your body doesn't have to focus on burning food. It can, like I said, it can, it can start to focus on cleaning itself out. Um, and fasting is, it, it contributes to, like I say, like mental focus and clarity. And, and it's also a tool that we can use when we're fat adapted to, you know, if you have a cheat day or you have a night out or you decide to have a pizza, if you can do a 24 hour fast or a 36 hour fast immediately the next day, you can get straight back into ketosis um, a lot quicker and get back to your energy levels and, and the benefits that you would regularly enjoy. Mm. Um, one thing I will say about fasting is that fasting on a standard Western diet is incredibly difficult because when you're on the standard Western diet, your energy levels, because of the glucose insulin response, mm. your energy levels are spiking and crashing roughly every two hours. So to fast when you're in that, that metabolic state is incredibly uncomfortable. And that's when you get cranky and hungry and starving and moody. Um, fasting is certainly a lot easier when you're fat adapted because you don't have that craving uh, response, which is a biological response. And you can get through the day relatively easily without having these panic attacks because you feel like you need to eat. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, thank you for that. So if someone's listening in and they want to move towards ketosis, they want to get into ketosis, what, what are the next steps for them? The next step, um, something I try to share with people and, and, and what I really specialize in is just is helping, is education. You need, I feel like people, in my opinion, really need to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because once you understand the science behind the, the glucose versus the fat burning body, that just empowers you to actually make the better decisions. You know, I'm, I'm part of a few uh, keto communities and, and a lot of people, because keto is such a buzzword now, people will suddenly decide, oh, Monday I'm going to be keto. What should I eat? You know, and it's like you have to, especially in the early days, because you're, you're changing your, the, your biology and your body, it can, be it can be a real struggle for the first few days, even the first couple of weeks. So you have to have an education in place 
and you have to have a plan in place hmm. because you will get hungry and you will get cranky um, and you need to have a backup in place. You know, you need to have your the right snacks and the right meals ready to go. You don't want to be standing in a supermarket like, God, I'm starving, but I'm trying to be keto. What do I eat? You're going to go off the rails, you know. So the first step is to, you know, like I was able to study it myself because I'm disciplined in that way. But a lot of people aren't like me. So the first step is to, is to get some help. You know, find someone that can help you and guide you at least for the first couple of weeks um, until you can learn to do it yourself. That's the point. You know, you empower yourself. You learn to look after yourself in terms of your lifestyle and your diet. And then once you've got it handled and you're experiencing the benefits, you can tell everybody else and, and help other people, you know. Yeah. And, and what is it you do? Do you have a platform that helps to educate people? Yeah, exactly. Um, tell exactly. us about it. So I'm a health coach and, you know, I specialize in the low carb, high fat diet. And I especially, you know, I, I enjoy helping people making the transition onto the low carb, high fat diet, you know, because, you know, the first step is eating right. It's getting, getting into a fat adapted state of being. And then I like to, if people are interested, then we start to look at exercise and sleep patterns and something that sounds very geeky called biohacking. We start to look at biohacks. And once, once you've got your diet handled and your energy levels go up and your motivation goes up and your focus goes up, then you, it's kind of enjoyable to find out like, oh my God, this stuff really works. You know, let's, let's look at some biohacks. Let's look at my exercise routine. Um, so that's what I focus on. You know, I've, I've spent about 12 years doing this stuff myself, um, experimenting all these little things, building my own habits in my own lifestyle. Um, and I, I can I speak from experience because all these weird and wonderful little things that I suggest to people actually work for me. Mm. And the beauty of, of, of what this age we're in now is that now the science is coming out that these weird little things that I do work for a lot of people. Yeah. And this is what I'm passionate about is, is helping people feel as good and as excited as I feel about my life because of my lifestyle. Yeah. And that's interesting because we get to the same place in what we both do. There's some overlap in that. But we start with sleep because we think that's the force multiplier. And if you're sleep starved, I'm going to really struggle to connect with you, to get through to you, for you to have the energy and motivation. You start with food. And I completely get why you do that. Um, I mean, really, either or, because if you've, there's so many links. I blogged about it the other week. I'll put a link to it. Uh, why sleep or how sleep affects weight loss. So the two are profoundly linked. But either way. You know, it's, it's, getting, it's getting people energized, motivated, bought in, maybe a couple of quick wins so they can say, right, you know, I've got the energy and the desire to get to the end goal. Yeah, uh, you, We've got a few minutes left. Actually, we've got a minute left. Um, what other kind of biohacks do you do, you do, do you include in your lifestyle? Um, so, you know, like biohacks, it's a very like intimidating uh, term and it actually put me off for a long time looking into a biohack because it sounds very intense, but... Um, you know, a very, you know, an example of a biohack is changing your diet. You know, if you become fat adapted, that's a biohack. You know, you're altering your biology for, for better performance. A another very simple biohack is cold exposure. Mm -hmm. So I take a hot shower, I enjoy my hot shower, I, I wash myself, and then I blast myself with the cold water. And it's biologically, it just affects you, and it affects you on a cellular level where your cells are, are forced to, like, strengthen or die. And they tend to strengthen. They become better at energizing themselves. And that translates as a better energy throughout the day. Um, something that I do as well, and a lot of guys out there do, is you, know, you kind of you, you, you look after your, your light exposure. 
So mm. something I've just got into recently is is uh, you know wearing blue blocking uh, glasses, yep. which you know which you use to block out all the artificial light that we're all you know overexposed to, which you know they call it junk light. Yeah. And just like junk food, your body struggles to digest junk food. Your body also struggles to digest junk light. And what that means, you know, in a very like practical sense, is that you get fatigue, you get the stress around your eyes, you get tension, headache, and you get that from staring at, at the computer screen under fluorescent lights. You know, so these blue blockers will filter out that blue light and help your eyes relax more, and then you you have more mental energy. And you know, this biohacking is a very exciting world because it's it's a rabbit hole that is never ending. And um, all the all the weird and wonderful little bio meditation is a biohack. Mm. You know, sleep is a biohack. You know, we talk about hacking your sleep. You know, if you if you learn what good quality sleep is, and then you learn how to get that good quality sleep, that's a biohack. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's very exciting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, will we see you at Biohacker Summit in May? Uh, I hope so. It's the first I've heard about it, but oh, right. well, not... we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I'm sure I'd love to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Brian, thanks very much. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next show.